You can hit the lights there too. I like looking at your faces. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Larry wanted me to tell you, he's really starting to like you guys. You know, you guys, this COVID-19 has been very good for you. It's really made you just, except for you don't want to be in the front row. You know, it's like, I'm going to move this about halfway. Now, we are so blessed that you're here. This is the time in our service where we receive our electronic offering. Since uh, practicing social distancing, we're not practicing the basket, you know, so if you uh, give at this time, you have to do that either online or you can do that in the agape box at the back of the sanctuary. And again, thank you for your faithfulness in giving to the Lord. Well, we're going to jump back in the book of Proverbs. We uh, Last Sunday that we were in that, I had to actually go back and look. It was my wife's birthday, May the 3rd. And uh, so we are going to be in uh, Proverbs chapter 5 here this morning, if you have your Bible with you. Uh, we're in this series, uh, Wisdom, I would call it really, for Everyday Living. I titled today um, the message, Sex Education, Solomon Style. And I, this is part two. And you might be saying, oh, Pastor Mike, what about part one? Part one is next week. And there's a reason for that, because there's... There's a consequence and there's a benefit. And I wanted to share with you the benefit before I shared with you the consequences of it. So uh, to show you the good side of it, then we'll go back and we'll talk about the repercussions of getting it wrong. Um, I can give you kind of a, a nutshell version of this um, heading into next week so you can think about this before we get into this this morning. When Lee and I uh, were going through premarital counseling, uh, one of the pastors, we actually met with all the pastors. There was three uh, staff pastors at the time male uh, pastors anyway, and uh, we met with them individually for our, our premarital counseling. And one of the, the counselors told us, pastors told us, he said, you know, you just need to understand this. Dirt in your flower bed is good. Dirt on your kitchen floor, not good. You know, it didn't even need much more elaboration than that. We totally understood it. And dirt in your flower bed is fine. My wife loves to garden. Dirt on our kitchen floor not good. And uh, again, so there's a, as Solomon would write in Ecclesiastes, there's a time and a place for everything under the sun. Amen. The key to life is picking the right place and the right time. And that's what Solomon's helping us understand. And that's the beauty of studying this book. And I hope that it's becoming a regular part of your life. Like I've shared with you, you know, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. You can read one a day and, uh, Again, you might say one a day keeps the devil away, so to speak there. Um, but we'll read through this this morning. Um, and again, like I said, where we're going to pick this up at is going to be in verse 15. And we'll read through verse 23 here, and then we'll jump into this. And so um, I'll invite you to join with me as we read along. <clears throat> it says this in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. It says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad in streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Actually, we'll just stop right there. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we pray that, God, you'd minister it to our hearts as Larry was 
praying in worship, that we'd be attentive. Um, Lord, you, you want us to be blessed. Uh, that's what you've given us this book and every book of the Bible is wisdom for everyday living. It's not just a history lesson. It's not just something you want us to know about that happened in the days of old, but Lord, we can apply your word in our life today. And uh, as you said, Lord Jesus, uh, he who has the son is free and he who has the son is free indeed. And so may studying your word today bring freedom in all of our lives, a greater sense of joy and pleasure. When we just give you this time and invite you to minister to us as we minister to you, as we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. And again, we all said amen. Amen. Thank you for that. So, you know, as we continue in this study, you know, practical uh, wisdom for every day. When we started this study, you remember I shared with you, you know, that uh, this is one Proverbs, one of the poetic books here in the Bible. There's Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon obviously were written by Solomon. And 1 Kings 4.32, just a little bit of review here for you, it tells us that uh, King Solomon, the son of David, that he wrote 3,000 Proverbs. So there's a lot more than what we have in the book of Proverbs. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs. So he was a good songwriter as well, like I shared with you. I think he was like the Barry Manilow you know, of the Old Testament with 1,005 wives. He wrote you know, 1,005 songs, basically, or 1,000 or. 700 wives, 300 concubines, that's a thousand and a thousand and five songs. So somebody got a few extra songs in there. That's all we, we can figure out from that. But Proverbs by definition, it comes from the Latin word proverbium. And that, the word pro obviously means on behalf of or in place of another. And then verba just means words or instead of words there. So when you put that together, a proverb then by definition is a short saying instead of a lot of words. And I shared with you John Corson, one of my favorite pastors on this. He said, a proverb is a pithy statement that packs a powerful punch. And it's so true. The Spanish novelist uh, Cervantes, he defined a proverb as a short sentence based on long experience. And that's so important that we understand that because that's exactly what Solomon in this, and we'll study more of this next week. We talk about this relationship, you know, that he, Solomon as a father uh, is, is wanting to enjoy with his son. We have a father instructing his son in the ways of the Lord. And, he, and here he's talking about <clears throat> human sexuality. And that's important, you know, that um, I don't know about you, and anyway, I could probably ask, you know, uh, by show of hands, but I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to ask the question. You don't have to raise your hand. Most, you know, as a youth pastor, most kids that, that I dealt with, they didn't learn about what we would call the birds and the bees or to have the talk. They didn't have that with their parents. They learned it from things that, that maybe were inappropriate that they saw or what they read, or they learned it from, you know, an older sibling or a neighborhood, you know, you know, friend or not even necessarily a friend, just some older kid on the block and they got all the wrong information. So it's really good as a parent that we have this book of wisdom so we can read it and we can share it uh, with our own children with the hope of, like I've shared with you many times, you know, a lot of parenting isn't just getting it right, right? It's being able to honestly and transparently before our children share what we did that was wrong that they could learn from our mistakes. I shared that, you know, this last week, you know, on Father's Day, you know, in those own, my own conversations with my own dad, who would just say, hey, Mike, you know what, you can learn from me. You don't have, you don't have time to make every mistake, you know, and uh, we do well to listen. And that's what Solomon's inviting us to do. He's saying, hey, son, I mean, if anybody, I guess if you wanted to talk to somebody who understood, you know, the issue of, uh, 
uh, sexuality, it's definitely going to be Solomon. I mean, if the guy's got 700 wives and 300 concubines, and a concubine obviously was a mistress for sexual relationships, here's a guy that knows a little bit whether we like it or not, whether it was appropriate or not, isn't even the question here. Obviously, we, we know that in Scripture that, you know, it's not, but yet he had this kind of, uh, you know, uh, understanding because of, uh, you know, his desire, his passion, you know, for uh, women in his life. And so he has much to say. And as a son, uh, you could learn very much about the things that he learned along the way. And we'll do that, you know, as we, we look at this over the, just the next couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll read through some of these things, like I said, together. And then as we do, uh, we'll look at some other things in scripture. But we need to understand something from the very get-go here. You know, if you look at this, you know, he says right away, he's, he's saying that marriage is like a flowing stream, that sex outside of marriage, you know, promiscuously speaking, you know, given either before or during marriage is like drinking polluted water out of a sewer. And that, that's, I mean, that is vivid. I mean, that's something a kid can wrap his mind around, right? Is that you go, it's, there's a difference between drinking flowing water, living water. That's what living water, when you read that in Scripture, living water is always referencing flowing water. The Dead Sea is what? It's stagnant. It has an input, but it has no output. And, and so to be looking at, you know, there's a right relationship like the pastor that shared with Lee and myself. The dirt, you know, in the flower bed is good. Dirt on my kitchen floor is not. He's like drinking of still water um, is where you're going to get bacteria. Has anybody ever drank uh, water before and it, it had some type of uh, bacteria in it and it, it created some type of problem for you by a show of hands? I'll let you raise your hand to that. You, you drank, whether you were, maybe you were backpacking or hiking and you thought it'd be really neat because you saw it on TV that you'd go, hey, we'll get down there and we'll, we'll cup up, we'll lap up water and we'll drink it. And later on in your hike, it's Maybe you could tell us about it, some other event that you had a very unpleasant experience as you start to, your stomach just starts to go, and then it comes out one of, or both ends. And Solomon's basically saying that, you know, water that's, that's drank out of the improper relationship. Oh, it might, it might satisfy at the moment. I mean, if you've been hot, you know, and, and, and you are dehydrated and that can be, you can think about that on any level, whether that's, you know, in a relationship where you're not satisfied. And so you go outside of the, the bounds of that relationship and you lap up water. Oh yeah. In that moment, I mean, and we'll read this, you know, later on. I mean, it might be sweet. It might seem satisfying. You go, but in the end, <laughs> the impact or the effect of it, if you've ever, if you've ever drank anything that was polluted, uh, that had bacteria in it and the impact or the effects that it has. And that's what Solomon is wanting his son to get. It's what I'm wanting you to get, you know, this morning, that there's a beautiful uh, relationship with it when it's living water and it's flowing, that it's beautiful, that it's satisfying, that it's refreshing. And when it's not, like I said, doesn't mean that it won't be set. The Bible says this very clearly, you know, sin is pleasurable for what? a moment or a season in time, but man, in the end, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it's end always 100% of the time it brings forth death. It might not be uh, your eternal death. It might not be your physical death, but it's going to be death to something. It can be death to a relationship. It can be death to so many variety of things. And, you know, and as a pastor dealing with these issues on a week to week basis, there's not a week that doesn't go by where I don't talk with somebody or pray with somebody that's having, you know, either marital struggle or as a single adult has got into a situation where it's causing them, you know, tremendous pain in their life. And so uh, again, uh, 
we're all impacted by it. You know, there is no temptation that's not common to man. We all have the same kind of struggles in life, so we can relate to one another. And so it's important, you know, that we really pay attention. You know, and I hope that as you read through this for yourself, you know, um, you can look at it like, you know, he talks about can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned. So what one pastor would share with Lee and I about dirt in the flower bed and dirt in the kitchen, think about a fireplace. You know, fire in the fireplace is great, right? But a fire, you know, anywhere else in the house is destructive. It'll destroy you. And so again, there's perimeters for this. It's not that sex is not bad. God created it. You know, the Hollywood did not create sex, okay? It was created by our creator. And, and it has different purposes. There's really two things. If you want to think about this with me, it's for, you know, procreation, right? It's to create it's for, for making babies, but it's also for recreation, recreation and recreation. It's part of a bonding experience. It's something that creates an intimacy between husband and wife. It's something that was to be pleasurable. It's something to be enjoyed. We'll actually look at this as we look at some of the, you know, uh, I'll give you three points here in just a moment. So if you're a note taker, I'll invite you to, to get out a pen or a pencil or write this down on your electronic device and go study it, you know, for yourself. But if you look at, you know, does God have a blueprint for our sexuality or our sexual pleasure? And the Bible says, yes. You look there in verses 15 through 17 again. So it says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountain be dispersed to broad streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. And so again, he's just talking about, you know, drinking water that is fresh water or water that's been collected. And so he's comparing sexual immorality with drinking, like I said, polluted water from a sewer system, you know, and again, so such a good, good, you know, visual uh, understanding that we need to have as, you know, as we study through God's word. And so when you, again, if, if you were going to look at what this text really embodies, if there's three things that really jump off the pages this morning, that, you know, there's three words, there's covenant and you could, number one would be covenant. The second would be whether you call it enjoyment or whether you call it pleasure. Um, I wish I could have come up with a C word, but I couldn't. I tried, I was looking, I was going through you know, man, my thesaurus and looking, is there a synonym for that? You know, and I couldn't find a C word. Maybe you can, you can help me out and send it. And then I can, I can help second service with it. But first is covenant. Second is, is pleasure or enjoyment. The third is commitment. And, and those are so important that we understand covenant, enjoyment, commitment. And, and you look at that, you know, when you think about covenant, you know, marriage is a covenant relationship. And you go, what makes it a covenant relationship? What makes it different than a contractual relationship? Because marriage in one sense can be contractual. If you've ever been divorced or know somebody who is, uh, usually there's a division of properties, right? That takes place. So there's a contractual aspect of a relationship. But, but marriage is so much more than that because it's a covenant relationship. Do you understand that the, throughout scripture, you know, God is a covenant God. And, and we are covenant people. This, this Bible that we, you and I have is a covenant book, okay? And you go, why is that? And you go, because God talks about the fact that as we walk with him, there's blessings and there's what? And there's cursings that come into our life. And you go, why? And you go, because God is a blessing God. And the, the curses are, are not because God curses us. The curses happen just simply by virtue of the fact that we don't walk with him because a covenant relationship doesn't just involve me 
or you, it also involves God himself. A covenant relationship is a relationship that we enjoy with God. You can have, and, and, and really in the truest sense, you can't have a marriage. You know, people want to talk about, you know, what is marriage? Well, the Bible defines, you know, marriage is, is a monogamous relationship between one biological male and one biological female. And I'm sorry that I have to use the word biological, but that's what's happened in a culture that walks away from God. But that's what a, a covenant marriage is. It's a relationship between a biological man, a biological female, and their God. And when you lose sight of that, you lose sight of everything. And, and this is what, you know, Solomon wants us to understand, is that when you think about, you know, covenant, and he's talking about this, and it's not that he states it here. You get it because it's implied here. L look what he says. He says, you know, again, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of what? What does it say there? What does it say? Your youth. Yeah. So it's talking about a lifetime, lifelong, until death do us part relationship. Does that make sense? That it, again, it doesn't state covenant people. I don't see covenant there. No, it's implied in the text. Now, are there, unfortunately, extenuating circumstances as to why people end up divorced or end up, you know, with a marriage broken or dissolved? And you go, absolutely. And I'm, we're not going down there. Those, those roads are wide and long and, and so many things that we could cover. We get that. So there's no way that, and I hope that you don't, you know, if you're here today as someone who's been divorced, there's grace. Amen. Uh, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus today, but you would probably be the best. You could probably deliver this sermon better than I could because you know the hurt and the pain that comes with it, whether you were the person who inflicted it or you were the victim who it was inflicted upon. It, 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 hurts everybody. It's not just the couple involved, that there's children, the children, family, friends. I mean, it's just, again, we just need to accept it for what it is. And we're, if we failed, you know, the same thing that we say about in marriage is if you're wrong to do what? To fess up. And if you're right, just shut up. Just don't say anything. You don't have to say anything about it. But we understand that there's a, there is a, a pain with this. And so to think about, you know, covenant and why was that important? Well, you think about back in, in Old Testament times and even in Jesus' day, you know, uh, marriages were arranged for the most part between a father uh, of a son and a father of a bride. And they were, they were betrothed to one another at a very early age. So they, they were in their youth. It wasn't uncommon. We think about, you know, when Mary gave birth to the Christ child, that she was just what? Just a teenager, just a young girl. So it wasn't uncommon for children to get married at 14, 15, 16 years of age because it wasn't something that they were going out and saying, hey, I'm, I want to be married. It was an arrangement that their parents had already made before them. And so, um, you know, we can go into all those things at, you know, another time, but just understand, you know, that their parents had made this determination for them. And so we think about, you know, this relationship with God, that marriage is, a, is an institution that, yes, we have free will to exercise it. But in the true sense, I mean, it's, it's nice to say this, that, you know, and there is a truth in it. It's not an absolute truth. But you think about, you know, when people say this, they go, well, you're, you're my one and only. Well, and, and we, we want to all believe that. And you go, but we do see in scripture where if a, if a man was married, 
or a woman and a man were married and the husband died and then she marries the brother, you know the story, and ultimately marries, you know, all the brothers. And they said, well, who, who would he be married to, you know, in heaven? Well, it wasn't wrong to be remarried for the posterity's sake and also the fact that a marriage relationship is not an eternal relationship. When you hear a pastor in a sermon or in a wedding say that, you know, what God has joined together, that no one, you know, tear us apart and, and you know, and this relationship, this marriage is for all eternity. And you'll hear pastors say that. And you go, and I know their intention is right, but theologically it's wrong. Marriage is a relationship to be enjoyed on earth. We will not be given in marriage in heaven, the Bible says. We'll be as like the angels of heaven. Okay, so this is a temporal relationship. And, and it's dissolved at death. And so that's important for us to comprehend because then, you know, people, you'll have people say that. They go, well, the, their spouse died. And they'll say, well, you know, they, they can't remarry. And you go, yes, they can. So God does allow for, you know, a second marriage, you know, and, and some it would be, you know, you'd meet people today and they've lived long enough and they've been married two or three times and, and none of them are sin. You know, I mean, it would make me a little bit nervous, you know, if you met somebody in your older age though, and you go, so, you know, so you, you're not divorced or anything. You know, I've had seven, you know, you know, husbands and you'd go, Ooh, seven. And you go, yeah. Do you cook? You know, <laughs> they're saying, you go, no, they just natural causes. And you go, and would God bless that? And you go, absolutely, absolutely. And so, uh, again, we have to understand, you know, that this isn't this, this idea that, you know, this covenant relationship, you know, that it's only with one person for all eternity. It is a, a lifelong, and it's important that we get that and we don't, we don't miss this. He's talking about a monogamous relationship here. And Again, as you look through it, again, in the Old Testament, this word covenant was used some 300 times. And again, it means it's an agreement with a binding force, an agreement with a binding force. And again, all through Scripture, you know, like I said, you know, God is a covenant God. God's people are covenant people. The Bible is a covenant book. Marriage is, is, you know, according to God, is a covenant relationship, and it has a binding force that comes with it. You look at Proverbs chapter 2, it says this, Wisdom will save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife and her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant that she made before God. Yeah, covenant that she made before God in her youth. And so, again, a covenant involves, it's not just a man and a woman, but it involves a third party, and that third party is who? It's God. God himself. You know, 50%, you know, it said of all marriages end in divorce, you know, and you think about that, and you go, why? Why, why do 50%, you think of all marriages end in divorce? Really, it's because they go into the relationship not looking at it as being a lifelong until death do us part relationship. All you have to do is listen to people. And they go, well, you know, I promised to, I mean, and if you really could sit back and get past the emotion, you know, of a relationship that you're listening to the things that they're saying, they go, well, I, it's kind of like this. They're saying, I promise to love you until I don't love you anymore. That's not a very good, you know, guarantee. I don't think that any of us would really want, you know. Or, or, you know, in our culture today, it's I promise to love you until what? Until something better comes along. Have you ever been on that side of the equation? It doesn't even have to be with regard to marriage. Maybe it's with regard to friendship. Maybe it's regard to a, a job that you had. You know, any kind of relationship. Something better comes along. And you could be on either side of that, you know, that coin. 
And so, again, what God desires for us is to understand that marriage is a lifelong commitment. I mean, you think about, you know, in our society today, you talk about, you know, one man, one woman for a lifetime. How do people look at you? You know, like you're extraterrestrial or something. It's like, are you kidding me? Really? I mean, one person is like boring. I mean, you hear things like that. You all know, have conversations with people and you go, you've got to be kidding me. Man, you, Pastor Mike, you don't know what you're missing out on. And I go, oh, no, I do. I, I came from that lifestyle. I'm, I'm missing out on sin. I'm missing out on hurt. I'm missing out on heartache. I'm missing out on betrayal. I'm missing out on insecurity. You know, the doubts, the fears, the, the comparisons, all the things that come with that sin. You know, that God wants to free us from, that nobody wants to really talk about. You go, but it's important that we do. Because again, as Jesus said, the truth you'll know and the truth will do what? It'll set you free. Yeah, God's not rubbing our nose in it. He didn't, he didn't come to rub our nose in our sin. He shed his blood on Calvary's cross to blot it out, amen? But if we hide from it, if we don't bring it to him, you go, all it does is, have you, have you ever had an infection that you didn't take care of? Does it just go away or does it spread? It spreads, it gets worse, it festers. And so a lot of this is coming to the understanding of going, God, your ways are higher than my ways. And, you know, and unfortunately, you know, what is a paradigm? I want you to think about this. Of all the things that I might tell you this morning, uh, maybe this is the most important thing. You know, paradigm is what? It's my knowledge and my experience, right? The things that I see and the knowledge that I have is really how I view the world. It's, it's what makes the decisions in my life. But I want you to understand something. Just stop for a moment here and think of your life today. And do you realize this truth, that your life today is nothing more than the sum total of all the decisions that you've made in your life up to this point? Have you thought about that? And you might be going, wow, that says a lot, Pastor Mike. That's why I know why things are so bad, because I've made so many bad decisions. Or maybe you're here and you're going, hey, you know what? That's why life is good, because our lives are nothing more than the sum total of all the decisions that we've made. That's why, you know, I can look at my wife and I can say, hey, you know, I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life, but I can tell you this. You're the one good one that I've made, you know, and, and, and be able to say that with, with truth. And you can go, I, I know that I've made a lot of mistakes, but man, to hold on to the good ones, you know, that you have made. And so again, it's not about perfection here. Okay. It's not about our perfection. It's ultimately, it's going to be about his perfection. But, you know, I think how many are married here, by the way, you're, you're married person here today. Raise your hand. Why, why are your hands like this? <laughs> yeah, men, especially women, that's okay. But men, it's like, you know, yes, I, I am. No, but you, you think about this, you know, marriage is not easy. It wasn't never intended to be easy. Why? Because God put two sinners together, two imperfect people into this lifelong relationship. There's going to be, as we will see next weekend, fireworks. You know, we have fireworks all the time in marriage. Sometimes they're, they're joyful and other times they're not. I mean, I, I, my wife and I, we have this app, it's called Next Door, so you get our neighbors or something where you get to, you know, read all the things. Well, I live in a retirement community, and, uh, and so whenever the fireworks go off, let me just put it this way. How many have noticed there's been an, an increase this year in fireworks? Anybody by a raise of hands? Yeah. How many are tired of fireworks already this year? And they just do not, <laughs> there's more even in that group. Yeah. But it's, it's one of these things that you go, it, it's going on all around us. 
fireworks are part of life. Uh, they can be pleasurable or they can be painful, you know, in our life. Um, but God, again, when he created marriage, it wasn't, you know, in the truest sense, we go, you know, I've shared this with you often, you know, that it wasn't primarily about making us happy. Marriage, by God's design, was to make us what? Holy. That, that's his desire. Because God knows, because think about holy. I don't mean holy sitting on a cloud, you know, in a white gown with a harp and, you know, wings. Oh, you know, people go, why would I want to go to heaven and do that? You know? You go, but think about it. You know, holy means what? Whole. It means complete, lacking nothing. You know, we think about that, the sufficiency of God, you know. And again, it's a beautiful portrait of, of what God desires for me and for you. We understand, you know, that the struggle, you know, in a marriage relationship is selfish, selfishness. I'm selfish by nature. I'm selfish at the very core of my being. And, you know, and again, so we're not you know, people go, well, in, in California, one of the, the, the laws were changed with regard to divorce was called what? Uh, irreconcilable differences, right? What's that saying? That people come and they say, well, Pastor Mike, you just don't understand. I mean, we're not compatible. Have you ever found anybody that you're truly compatible with? There is no such person. That, that, that's a figment of our imagination. And we can see it in scripture because true love is not because we're compatible because we're not. Because we're sinners. We're sinners at the core. The compatibility comes with choice. That's the beauty of true love is that I choose you. I choose you in spite of you. Because isn't that what God did for me and you? Did God choose me and you because we were perfect? Does he love us because we have it all down? Or does he love cover a multitude of sin? Yeah. You know, no, his love, is, it's, it's self-motivated. And that's the best kind of love. Because then it's not, it's not based on... Because if, if it wasn't based on choice and it was based on, you know, action or deed, we'd, we'd probably be living in the Old Testament where, you know, the Bible says, you know, that what? Eye for an eye, what? Tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said, you know, that love does what? Love Love believes all things. Love bears all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. You know, love is willing to sacrifice. Love is willing to lay down its life. You know, I love, uh, <laughs> you know, I've shared this with you many times from this pulpit. You know, you think about, you know, that we're sinners. Think about this for a second. If your own mother, think about this. If your own mother knew every single thing that's ever traveled through your brain, would she still love you? No, she would, she'd go, why, why did I even give birth to you? I mean, we could be wicked. You know, there's things that go through our mind, even the nicest people that you know. I mean, the, even if you, the nicest people that you can think of, the things that go through, because why? We're sinners. We're sinners who need a savior. It's why Jesus came. I like what Ben Franklin said with regard to marriage. He said, you know, before marriage, he said, keep your eyes wide open. After you get married, keep them half shut. And it's such wise counsel because it's really, because again, the longer you live with somebody, what's going to happen? You're going to see their flaws, all the hangups and all the everything that you possibly don't like. That's one of the, the problems of marriage. And it's why people want to get divorced and start a new relationship because they just like the newness of a relationship. And then when it seems to get old or monotonous to them, then again, it's, it's time to move on. 
Really interesting here. There was two researchers from the Family Life Seminars, and they concluded, though, that Christians generally experience a higher degree of sexual enjoyment than non-Christians do. Now, again, this wasn't written for like Barna Research or, you know, some Christian periodical. This came from Red Book Magazine. It was an article that was entitled Sexual Pleasure Survey, and it showed the preferences of 100,000 women. And uh, this article, it said this in quoting, it said, sexual satisfaction is related significantly to religious belief. With notable consistency, the greater the intensity of a woman's religious convictions, the likelier she is to be highly satisfied with the sexual pleasures of marriage. Really interesting. You go, why? Because we were created by God. We were created for God. His intentions were were simple. You know, that we would uh, stay pure until marriage, and then we would live in purity in marriage. Again, do I understand, you know, today as I'm sharing this, I know for some it can, you, you could be squirming thinking, uh, you know, here it is just dropping the hammer, you know, on my failure and my sin. You go, no, that's not the, that's not the point. Our sin does that to us. You know, I, I want to point you to God's goodness and his grace and his mercy that we can learn from our failure, that we have forgiveness for our failure. We can bring those things to God and, and we can experience, you know, the newness of God. We can totally mess up our life. And God, by his grace and his mercy, has the ability to make all things new. Aren't you grateful for that? And that's including us. I mean, he can rebuild us from the inside out. We don't have to live with our past failure, our past pain. The mercies of God, you know, the Lamentations reminds us, they're new every morning. And great is his faithfulness. But we, but we have to be honest about, you know, you can't, you know, as James said, a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. So to say that you believe, you know, God's word to be true, but then to live in, in contradiction to it, you go, that's not going to bring you the peace that you enjoy. Yes, can you find forgiveness every time? And you go, yes, but the consequences are still going to be there. But sometimes we confuse, you know, God's forgiveness with the consequences. No, Galatians makes it perfectly clear. For whatever a man or a woman sows, that too they shall what? Reap. It's the law of reaping and so and sowing here. You know, since 1970, think about this: the number of Americans living together has increased by over 400 percent. Why? Because people don't want to be committed. And and you have to be honest about you know as you look around the world today, does the world look like it's more satisfied today? Do people seem happier today? Are they enjoying you know their their sexual freedom today? And you go, no. It's destructive. It's like I said, sin is pleasurable for a moment. And you go, but think, go back to, you know, is it living water? And you go, no, it's like drinking from a sewer. At some point, it's going to pollute and it's going to destroy the relationship. There was an article that was written based on, a, I mean, and I love these when it comes to relationships, based on 50 years of study of, of marriage and family relationships that in this 50-year study, that couples who lived together before marriage divorced 50% more than couples who waited until they got married to enter into a sexual relationship. And you go, wow. I mean, they, you know, not that God needed validation, but I think that, you know, just studying history and just taking things, you know, in truth and taking them to heart, we understand, you know, that God has a plan, that he has a purpose for everything. And you think about this, and really what's interesting, you know, in this study, 
that those who uh, cohabitate have stated that they were, had a less satisfying and, you know, and more unstable marriage relationship. And the researchers discovered this. It wasn't because they studied the Bible. This was the researchers. They discovered, discovered that, and in their discussions with people that people regretted having violated their moral standards and they felt a loss of personal freedom to exit out the back door. And what, what, is it, what did it come down to? Well, they basically said this, that they, they felt that they had stolen a level of intimacy that is not warranted at the, that point in their relationship because it hadn't been validated by the degree of a commitment to one another. And so what they were saying is they recognized what Solomon was talking about. Solomon knew this. Remember, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. And he said, you know, that it might taste sweet, but it's going to end up bitter. And that's exactly what they're saying here. So it's like, let God be found true and every man a liar. Quit believing what the world's telling us. You know, we, we watch these things on television. They make it appear that everybody's happy and that's the most joyful experience that you can have. It's always like I used to tell the kids about, you know, drinking. They show, you know, these, this, you know, beer commercial, you know, and it has a people just, you know, they're, say they're camping, you know, and, it, and I, I, I would see the commercial and it's showing them, they're all sitting around a campfire and man, they're just slamming beers, you know, one after one after another and not arguing the fact that, hey, maybe some of them felt pretty good. You go, but what they don't show you is the possibility of what's going on at two o'clock in the morning, right? At nine o'clock at the campfire, roasting hot dogs and marshmallows, everybody's having a good time. Now, what they need to do is fast forward to two o'clock in the morning though, right? And all of a sudden you hear this, and you go, if you're going to show us the one, show us the other. There is pleasure. Doesn't, the Bible doesn't contradict that, but it says, but there's also pain. But they tend to leave that out. We're finding that a lot in our news as of recent this last year. That uh, there, there's a narrative that's always being promoted with whatever the thing is. And then all of a sudden, as you know, Paul Harvey would say, now for the what? The rest of the story. And that's what Solomon's doing here. And it's why it's so good to study the book of Proverbs here. Again, knowing, you know, stolen water is sweet. You know, again, verse 17 there. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of hell. Covenant, a covenant relationship. The second though, besides covenant, you know, why marriage relationship? Why this marriage covenant relationship is that it's for our enjoyment. It's for our pleasure. Like I said, you look there in verse 18, it says again, let your fountain be blessed, rejoice with the wife of your youth as a loving deer is a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times and be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman embraced in the arms of a, sedu of a seductress? Again, who invented sex? Hollywood or did God? And you, and you have to determine that. Because again, it goes back to a covenant relationship. Understand that all these things, God has created for his pleasure and for our pleasure and for our good. C.S. Lewis, you know, wrote this, pleasure was God's idea, not the devil's. Pleasure, God's idea, not the devil. God made them in the beginning. They were male and female. It says they were naked. They were not ashamed. And again, he doesn't want us to be ashamed. And again, and if you're in a right relationship and it's morally right, there's, there's an innocence that comes with that. There's a clear conscience that comes with that. 
we shouldn't be ashamed either. That's not God's desire. It's not his plan, you know, for a marriage relationship. He wants us to delight in it. You think about, you know, again, living water. Why sex? Like I said, it's for procreation, for recreation. It's for making babies. It's for bonding. You know, that word no, you think about it, you know, when it says Adam knew his wife, he didn't just know things about her. That's a word that meant he knew her sexually. He knew her in, in the most profound way that a person can know an, another person. You know, but it's always connected. Understand this, God's pleasure in marriage and sexuality is always connected to a covenant relationship, a unifying relationship. You know, you think about, as an example, you know, there's, there's sexual problems, you know, in the world today. I mean, gosh, you see commercials all over the place and you're going, you know, they never had these commercials when I was a kid. You go, what's happened? And you go, there's so much more stress and there's strain in the world today that again, uh, and you go, why? And you go, because there's so many relationships that are not right before God. And they're struggling, you know, with, there's a peace and there with, that comes with that, with pleasure of knowing, you know, again, that our lives are right before the Lord. And, you know, again, when you have sexual problems like that, and you go, and some are physical problems, obviously, but most of them are not. They're psychological. They're emotional problems in, in the relationship. And those should be what? Anytime that we're having that kind of problem in our life, it should be, you know, an indicator that something, it should get our attention, right? Isn't it amazing how God does that with our health? Usually whatever it is that you're seeing is actually, you know, something else. It's tied to something else, you know, because when you go to a doctor, what do they treat? Do they treat the problem or do they treat the symptom? They're treating the symptom, right? You know, God wants to go for the heart. You know, we talk about the matter of the heart's the heart of the matter. He wants to provide a cure. You know, if, if you're, and then just let me give you this as an example. If on your dashboard of your car, we have those things, they call them what? Dummy lights, right? And if the dummy light goes off and it tells you, you know, what something's going on, what do you do with that? Now, if you're paying attention, you'll probably either go to a mechanic and you'll have them, you know, put it on code and they'll go, hey, what is, what is wrong, you know, with my vehicle? Uh, if, if, if you don't, you'll do what? You either pound on the dash until you break the light and it goes out or you turn the radio up. I was like that. Somebody can go, hey, do you hear that sound that your car is making? And you go, turn the radio up louder. Nope, don't hear it at all. Just avoiding it. Like if we avoid it, what's going to happen? It's going to go away. No. But problems that are not dealt with, do they go away or do they tend to get worse? They tend to get worse. And, and that's exactly, you know, what Solomon is going to remind us of as we look at this next week. But if you want a healthy, vibrant sex life in your marriage, the best way I can tell you to do that is try some tenderness. And you think, try some tenderness. Yeah. If you're a note taker, you might write this down. Some of the best advice I've ever been given in my entire life when my wife and I were newlyweds and we were talking with the pastor and he said to us, he said, you know, Mike, just understand this. Sex starts in the kitchen. Okay. I want you to know I've been married 37 years. I got that so wrong when he said that. Sex starts in the kitchen. I was thinking literally. I, you know, I was like, wow, really? 
And he's like, no, sex starts in the kitchen. And I'm like, I just got to confess something here. I'm not the sharpest pencil in the drawer, okay? So he's like, okay, let's look at it this way. Mike, Lee is like a crock pot. And you are like a microwave. Men can get turned on like that. He goes, it's going to take your wife from 6 a.m. in the morning until dinner time. You're going to have to, you're going, to, and I'm like, tenderness. It starts in the kitchen. It starts, you know, don't, don't think for a second that, you know, that you've been away from her all day long and that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, at bedtime, it's like, are we in the mood? I mean, there would be times, I mean, just by, I want to be totally transparent, you know, on a subject here that, you know, a lot of people shy away from. Um, I can, and my wife can attest to this. Not that she, no. She, I, I love these moments like this because you should see her face right now because she doesn't have any idea what I'm about to say. And part of her is going, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. You know, and the other part, she's like, what's he going to say? <laughs> so there's this, you know, I don't know. But uh, um, what was I going to tell you? <laughs> no, no she, yeah, she's going, that's her praying. Lord, let him forget, let him forget. <laughs> Let him forget. Uh, and what was I going to tell you? <laughs> you know, the, the, the counselor, so we're sitting there and he's like, um, you know, you, you need to understand it. Sex starts in the morning. It starts with, you know, words and of encouragement and affirmation. Because we, you know, we could go through the day, like I said, and we'd get home and we'd get in a fight about something. I mean, a fight. And we're arguing about something. And it's right before bed. And you'd be thinking if I was a guy and I had any thought in my mind about, you know, being intimate at all, that I would be doing everything. I would just agree with her, even if I didn't agree with her. But like I told you, one of my favorite pastors, Don McClure, he said, men are so dumb. And this is at a men's conference, by the way. It wasn't in a mixed group. It was men. He goes, men, we're dumb. He goes, men, he goes, remember, lock this in. Lock in on this. He goes, men will fight to the death for the right to be wrong. And we're all, yeah. And it's like, and he goes, dumb, dumb. But we'd get an argument over something. And I could have easily got it over with by just going what? Honey, you're right. I'm wrong. Because it's, it's been that way 100% of the time since we got married. But I will fight sometimes because I think I'm right. Now, if I listen to her long enough, even when I think I'm right, I learn I was wrong. That, any other men, have you learned that in your marriage relationship? So yeah, it's like, it's, a, it's, it's amazing. I'm, I'm wrong 100% of the time, but we'd get in a fight. And then as soon as the fight was over, okay, we'd, we'd you know, I would say, honey, I go, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. And then she would like roll over. And I'd like, uh, honey, she's like, yeah, what? And I go, does this mean we're, we're, we're not gonna? And she's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You, we just fought for like an hour. And I'm like, and? <laughs> I'm a microwave. <laughs> I didn't realize I shut the crock pot off about two hours ago. You know, it was like, but you understand that tenderness, you know, that again, understanding that. Non, my wife would tell me, like I used to come up to her and I could give her a hug. And she'd go, oh, no, you don't. And I'm like, I just came up, no, you didn't. <laughs> it's called non-sexual contact. You need to write that down, guys. Non-sexual 
contact. Enjoying your wife. It's not just about sex. It's enjoying them as a person. It's understanding this. There's a great expression that says, you know, one woman that says, if you capture my mind, I'll give you my body. Capture my, my mind and I'll give you my body. It's enjoying them as a person. That they're more than, you know, oh, I'm just a sex object to you. And you go, no, it's, it's way more than that. Yes, it's part that. I'm not going to deny that. You go, but it's so, so much more than that. Enjoying each other emotionally. Enjoying each other physically. You know, my wife, she'd say, you know, again, great counsel. Again, want to share some of these things with you. Just blow through this here. Some of the best counseling, you know, through the years. You know, my wife would say to me, you know, Mike, um, hey, we need to talk. And it's like, when your wife says that she needs to talk to you, what's your first reaction, guys? Is it verbal or nonverbal? It's usually nonverbal, right? You remember how, like, when you, you tell your kids something and they don't want to do it and they throw themselves down on the floor, you know? And it's kind of like that with men. You know, honey, I need to talk to you. And it's like this. It's like a sigh. All the air comes out. And it's like your eyes roll up in the back of your head, you know? And they're like, oh, it's like, nope, that's fine. I don't, want, I don't want to talk about it. And you go, no, counselor would say, okay, here's what you need to do. When Lee wants to talk to you, this is what you need to do. You need to say, honey, and she can attest to this. After 37 years of marriage, I still haven't got this down, but I'm better than I, at least than I was, is I will say to her, like she'll go, hey, can I talk to you about this? And I go, okay, because I've done it so wrong, I, I get this. I say to her, okay, do you want me just to listen or do you want me to fix it? Is this one of those, I need to know because I'm going to listen differently because if you want me to fix it, I'm going to listen to what you're, and then I'm going to offer you how to fix it. But I've learned through the years, most of the conversations my wife has with me, she doesn't want me to fix it. She's perfectly capable of fixing it on her own, but she wants me to listen to her. It's like, okay. And she goes, I just need you to listen to me. Here's the thing. If you do this, guys, there's two things to do, and you can never get this wrong, and you'll have hero status in your marriage if you do this. Is She starts talking, right? When she finally stops and takes a breath, you inject something in right in that moment, and you say to her, when she takes a breath, you go, tell me more. She'll look at you like, who are you? But you go, but you go tell me more. And she'll then continue back on, and she'll do it, and then let her finish. And then when she finishes, all you have to say is, wow, thank you for sharing your heart. And she'll look at you know, like, I mean, you, you have reached a plateau that probably you've never reached before in your life. And, 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 and I mean, when you do it sincerely, if you only do that, you go, hold on a second, honey. Pastor Mike said to say this to you. Yeah, okay. Uh, wow, tell me more. And you're, and you're over here and you're on your phone. You know, No, there's other things that go with it. But the bottom line is, is you just go, you know, tell me more and then thank you for sharing your heart with me. And when you do that sincerely, you've done more for intimacy in your life on every level than you could possibly think or imagine. I mean, you don't have to go buy candy. You don't have to buy flowers. You know, not that those things are bad in of itself, but just by engaging in the relationship emotionally. You know, 1 Peter 3, 7, you know, tells us, you know, husbands likewise, you know, live with your wives with, in an understanding way. Is understand her. You know, seek to know her. Seek to, seek to appreciate her. And, you know, and as you do that, like I said, you'll, you'll be in a position where, um, you know, things are going to be good in your, in your marriage relationship. 
You know, we're all building something. You're either building a wall or you're building a bridge. And you have to determine that. You know, one of the things I've learned in counseling, you know, because we're all doing that in your marriage relationship, in your friendships, in your life with everybody, whether it's your children, whether it's your friends, you're either building walls or you're building bridges. What I've discovered is most of us build walls and not bridges. We don't want to be hurt by other people. So we don't open up and we don't share our heart. But here's the danger. You can build a wall and it seems productive because you're building it. But when you get done building the wall, what you have to understand is, yes, there's, remember, there's two sides of this coin, right? When you finish building the wall, no one can get to you. They can't hurt you anymore. But also, you can't get out. You can't get to anybody else. You've isolated yourself. You've hunkered down. And you've protected yourself, not just from other people, but actually from yourself. And that's a terrible place to be. We're, it's better off if we're going to be constructive is to build a bridge in relationship, knowing that God is going to use, especially in our marriage relationship. Like I said, it's not always about just being happy. It's about being holy. So it's engaging in that relationship. You know, one of the things I can tell you this, I know for Lee and I, during this COVID-19, I mean, we, we can say, hey, we fell back in love. And it's not that we fell out of love, but it was like we came to really appreciate why we got married to begin with. You know, we haven't had that kind of time together because of life. We're a two-income family. She's got to work. I work. And so I hardly see, I mean, her, who she works with sees her more than I do. I see her, you know, from just a few hours, you know, in the evening time uh, until the next morning, until she was off. So this was like a wonderful time. It was a reset button for us. It was, it was an opportunity to appreciate her afresh in our relationship, growing, you know, together. And again, building bridges, you know, in our life. And so again, so, so important that you see that. The last thing, you know, I want to share with you, and it's really the most important thing. You know, remember, this is a covenant relationship. So really, it's, it's about a spiritual commitment. If you're going to have a healthy marriage relationship, one that is, is satisfying sexually, emotionally, in every sense of the, any word that you want to look at in satisfaction, it will really begin with a spiritual commitment. You know, I, I put in my notes here, you know, the family that stays together uh, is the one that prays together. And that's really true. You know, verse 21, and we'll, we'll look at this and then we'll close. It says, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all of his paths. So just remember this, if, if you and I lived with this understanding that God is omniscient, right? That God is in every conversation you have with your spouse. He's in every thought that you think or don't have, you know, with regard to your spouse. I had a situation years ago, okay? So there's not anybody in here. Years ago where a guy called my home on my answer machine from the church. And he was telling me about how bad his wife was on the phone and that how he was almost in the way he was describing it was angelic in his patience and in his care and his love, you know, for his wife. But he was just at the end of his proverbial rope that he couldn't take it anymore. And he wanted me to know, and he wanted me to pray, right? And so then he went on, he said, you know, Mike, I appreciate you. And I thank you for your counsel. You know, you've really helped me, you know, pray for my wife and da, 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 da. And then he said, okay, I'll, I'll see you, you know, at church. And he thought he hung up, but he didn't hang up. And this was in the day when you had answer machines that just went on and on and on. Next thing I hear is him yelling at his wife. He yells her name and then he calls her every name in the book. She'd yelled for him from the other room while he was on the phone. And it just went from one thing to the next. Well, he never hung the phone up. It went on for like five minutes. Well, 
about two weeks later, he made an appointment to come into the office with his, with his wife. So as we sat there and, and he went through, you know, all the things that he was saying, I, I was like, wow, I go, you know, have you ever heard, you know, in scripture where it says the testimony of one seems right till another comes along? And I go, does your wife think the same way? And she really didn't want to say anything. And I said, you don't need to say anything. I said, I, I can play for you if you'd like, because I can call my phone and I could play back. I saved the message. So I, I, I called my phone, my house phone with them there, and I played the message back. You just thought this guy, his face turned white as a sheet. He was humiliated. He was embarrassed. And to this day, I still know the guy, he said, that was the best thing that ever happened in my life. And I said, why is that? And he goes, because I forgot, you know, that God hears everything and he sees you. It's just a reminder to me that, you know, I can't do anything without God being aware of it and that God's a great record keeper. And he goes, and that's so humbling to me. And he goes, Mike, he goes, like I said, to this day, he'll go, that was, he goes, that was the best thing that happened in my marriage. And he's made these commitments in his marriage to, to love his wife and to be there emotionally and to care for her. And it's a wonderful thing. You go, but it was just a, a great reminder that, man, you know what? We can forget that this, you know, the success of our, our lives, whether it's marriage or anything else, comes back down to the fact that uh, we recognize that we are, are spiritual beings here. And if we forget that, you know, again, it's going to have, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this, a, a, such a, a negative repercussion, you know, in our, in our marriage relationship. You know, I'll close with this. It's a true story. There was a guy, his name was Jim Newick. And uh, he, along with his wife and another couple, uh, they were up at uh, Spirit Lake in Washington State years ago. Uh, they had been hiking, you know, with this couple. And uh, they were coming along and they, they approached this cabin that was like something out of a... Um, postcard, you know, it had a waterfall and this little tiny cabin, then it went out into a stream and uh, they came upon it. And it, I mean, it was beautiful. It was like the, the sky was blue. There was white clouds. I mean, like I said, it was like something right out of a postcard. It was like this perfect moment in time, except for the fact that Jim uh, on the inside, man, he was just going through it in life. I mean, he was, he was going through a storm, a personal storm. He had an, an active malignant tumor that was growing inside of his body. And, uh, Again, as they were walking up to this beautiful waterfall, underneath it, like I said, was this little cottage. And his wife, uh, she, she goes running up to this cottage and she discovers that it's something that you can actually rent. She goes in and, uh, and, and she's there and she's like, okay, I, hey, I want to like to rent this for next week and you know, enjoy this time you know, with my, my husband. And she comes out and she says, you know, hey, I booked the cottage. And the, the other two friends are really excited, but her husband, Jim, he all of a sudden, he's like, well, when is it? And she goes, well, it's booked solid for a year. And he goes, so she goes, I, I booked it from a year from now. And he, he's telling me, I, honey, I don't understand how you can get so excited about this. I, I have a malignant tumor. I'm going to be dead in a year from now. And what's interesting as the story unfolds and as it ends, actually it was at Mount St. Helens where this took place. In less than a year from that time, that cottage was gone. That waterfall was gone. That river was gone. All the things that Jim thought were forever were gone. But the things that he thought were temporal were still there. Jim was actually thriving and doing well in his health a year from then. And we often do that in life. We get things backwards. See, because we forget that we're spiritual beings, that we're going to live forever. We're going to live forever in the presence of God. or We're going to live in hell outside the presence of God. And when we start to understand that, 
and we start to see, you because know, like I said, I've, I've been at the bedside of many people that have passed away, and I've never had anybody say, Pastor Mike, I wish I'd have spent more time at work, or I spent more time hiking, or I spent more time, you know, doing my favorite hobby. No, our regrets are, you know, Pastor Mike, I wish that I spent more time with the people that I love. I wish I would have invested my life in people. And you go, yeah, we can all be guilty of those things. And that's why understanding that you are a spiritual being is the most important thing in your life. Today, understand today, this isn't a statement of condemnation for me and for you. We are nothing more than the sum total of all our choices to this very moment. And so as we close, I want you to think about that today with regard to our sexuality. Think about that. You are the sum choice of all you're some product of all your choices that you've made to this very moment in time. And if you're going, man, I'm, I'm good with that. Then you go, awesome. Keep on keeping on. But if not understand today that, you know what, you can start afresh today, that you can come to God today. You can find forgiveness today. You can say, pastor Mike, you know, but I've been married this long and this is, you know, just how it is. No, <laughs> God can teach an old dog new tricks. Trust me. I, I'm living proof of that. If we will come to him as a child, as Solomon is speaking to his son, that you would allow your father who's in heaven to speak to you through his word. And where we're wrong, we need to fess up. And where we're right, like I said, we need to shut up. And that we allow God to make things right. There's hope for every single person here today, single, married, otherwise. No matter what has happened in your past isn't the issue. It's not what you've done. It's where are you headed? Who are you headed to? And that's where we can find like I said, the hope, and I encourage you just to read through this, uh, chapters five, six, and seven. That's your homework assignment. And we'll talk about some of the negative repercussions, but I wanted to give you the, the positive aspect of it, that you know, if you'll recognize that your marriage is a covenant relationship, it's not just you and your wife or your husband, it's you, your wife, and your husband, and God himself. It's a covenant relationship, and it's for your enjoyment. God has given marriage so that we're not alone, that we could enjoy one another. And you have to determine that, the pleasure that you're finding in your relationship and putting and making the investment into that. Understanding that it is a spiritual commitment, that the family, again, that prays together, that focuses on God is the one that truly stays together. When you recognize it's about him and not so much about me and you, you, know, you will end up in the place where God has always desired you to be. And again, it's not to harm you but it is to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. Amen. Let's stand to our feet and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, just as we, we do close you know, in prayer this morning, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, today is, is really the first day of our new life in Jesus Christ, no matter where we've been before. We've never been this way before. And uh, Lord, if we've, if we've broken your laws. We've broken your commandments, Lord. We can make it our prayer today and just in our hearts say, Jesus, I want you to have first place in my life. I know I've made a lot of bad choices. I understand uh, that they've shaped who I am today and I repent of those choices and I'm choosing today to follow you. Lord, I receive you, Lord, into my heart and I thank you for not only forgiving me and washing me of my sins, but Lord, Thank you for your help. Thank you that from this day forward, you'll lead me and guide me. Give me the strength to, to trust you and to obey you. Lord, thank you that we can pray these things and Lord, receive them from you. I pray for every marriage here, Lord, in this sanctuary and those that will be online today, that God, you put a hedge of protection about them, that Lord, we wouldn't be a reflection of the world, but Lord, we'd be a reflection of you, the love that you have for us. May we have that same love for one another. We thank you for the gift of marriage. We thank you for all that it provides. And may we cherish it, Lord, the way that you do. 
to think that you loved your bride so much, the church, that you gave himself, yourself for her. Lord, may we have that same kind of heart for our marriages. We love you today. Give you this time, Lord, as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.